Welcome to the Reflections on Leadership podcast with Carl Bimshaw. Hi, this is Carl Bimshaw. In today's episode of Reflections on Leadership, I speak with J.C. Bernstein. Dubbed the leadership realist and a former operator herself, J.C. has first-hand knowledge of how unrealistic the application of leadership theory can be. She has tried it all and knows what works and what doesn't but it doesn't stop there. With an additional decade of work in the HR space, she has listened to thousands of first-hand employee testimonials identifying where employers are missing the mark and how to fix it. Having worked in conjunction with disengaged employees and their leaders, JC has a unique balance of the employer-employee perspective. Her expertise has been leveraged at Fortune 500 companies and shared throughout independent consulting. She's also recognized as an expert in her field with a senior professional and human resources designation and is releasing her first book, Spark to Fire, on December 1st. This book gives a simple framework for leaders to follow to build motivated, high-performing teams. Let's get started. So, who are you and what do you do? (laughs) Well, my name is J.C. Bernstein. Um, I am a leadership expert. I focus on the the leadership development space. Um, And I came into leadership actually as a leader. I started in the restaurant industry as an operator. I was there for 10 years um, and had a lot of success. Um, And most of my success was uh, the result of building really high performing teams. And uh, after I came out of operations, I decided I really wanted to focus on helping more leaders find the success that I was able to find. Um, So I pivoted into human resources where I was able to wear two hats. Um, I focused a lot on the training and development side, but I also had the opportunity to speak to, over the last 10 years, thousands of employees who were not motivated. They had um, some sort of qualm um, with their work environment, um, and it was an awesome opportunity to extract some real testimonial um, about things that leaders on the ground, that first uh, first level leader, entry level leader, mid-level manager, um, were doing um, that affected their motivation. Um, so I was able to, to get this awesome blend of, um, of seeing two sides of the equation, being an operator, teaching operators, and hearing the firsthand testimonial. Um, and I have pulled all of that together um, recently into a book that I'm launching uh, in December. Fantastic. And what, what is the title of that book, JC? <laughs> Sure. That is From Spark to Fire. Um, and it is about how a leader can identify that thing that sparks motivation in an individual um, and then how they can transfer that motivation into their work by lighting that fire. Great. Well, we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about that, but I, I want to sure. go back. You, you say you spent a lot of time in, in retail and the restaurant industry. Yeah. So my experience with that is either people are there for a, a day, day and a half before they're quit or fired, and, or yeah. they're there for their entire career. Uh, <laughs> can you explain that? It's true. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, listen, uh, the industry is blessed to have some people that are just incredibly passionate about either working in the restaurant industry or working in the retail industry. But the reality is, is those industries, much also like, you know, the hotel industry or manufacturing, a lot of times it's just that transitional role, which is truthfully how I landed in restaurants. 
Um, I, I went into restaurants as a transitional thing. I didn't really know what I wanted to do yet with my life. I had my degree, um, but I wasn't sold on, on where that industry was kind of pulling me. Um, so it was just supposed to be a transitional thing until I figured out what I wanted to do. Um, and it turns out it was exactly what I wanted to do. <laughs> what about that industry do you think, uh, because it really is even even retail, whether they'd like to believe it or not, is part of the hospitality industry in some ways, right? It's it's sure. success is really about how you're treating the the customer. Do you have any yeah. takeaways in your experiences on that? Is is that is that true, or is that just what every customer wants to believe that we're the most important important part here? Or you know what what's so special about uh, that industry or those two industries? So I think, I think it is true. Um, I, there's a lot of value that I think employees put into being able to service a customer. It feels good, right? It feels really good to have that regular customer come back. Um, the industries that I've supported, it's been familial, right? Uh, not just with the staff, but with the customers too. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I've been out of the, uh, the, concepts that I that I uh, was an operator in for a while now. Um, but my regular customers still keep in touch with me, right? They when I had my first son, they were bringing gifts to him and, and things like that. I mean, it's really a familial thing. Um, so especially in the restaurant industry, but also too in the retail industry, um, I think you just have those regulars and it builds that connection and a sense of family. Mm. So is the Fishamajig the best sandwich ever? The fish and dick. <laughs> well, in full disclosure, um, I'm allergic to fish, so oh, okay. I would not be able to give you a real assessment on that. No. Fish, I, I've, I have Boston Boston roots, and we spent a lot of time at Friendly's, and fish majig was yeah. what my, my father would always get, and I uh, yeah. Remember that very much. You, you um, are known as a leadership realist. Can you explain that a little bit? as opposed yeah, to a leadership uh, fantasy or something like that? What's, what's the difference? What are, what are we talking yeah, about? Yeah, great comparison. So here's, here's what I've found is that there is a lot of really great information out there, conceptual information, um, either in books or trainings um, that are kind of, it's packaged and kind of shared with, with leaders, but there's a disconnect between how to take that kind of, um, just the ideas and then actually apply it. A lot of times leaders feel as though it's not realistic um, and they don't, either it's not realistic and they can't implement it into their day-to-day -day, or they think that they're doing it, but they're not actually doing it. Um, or they're doing other things that are, um, you know, they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot and, and undoing what they're trying to do. So when I say leadership realist, it's really about what is that concept knowledge that, that people need to know, but how can they actually tactically apply it to their day-to-day -day and make it work? Can you give uh, an example or two about that? Like just a, a tactical, is this like tips how to be better at what you're doing or, or give, give me a little bit of an example around a practical application? Sure. So um, let's go with um, so there's a big focus right now on the company why, right? Share the company why um, people feel good about working in an environment where the work that they do means something, it contributes to something bigger, and it's not working. 
And it's not working for a variety of different reasons. One thing is uh, the why, the company why and mission statements, although it might make people feel good for a moment, um, it has nothing to do with that person, with that individual. Um, and for people to really be motivated, they need to be able to feel like they are accomplishing something for themselves. Um, so there's a disconnect there. Another example right now is on the recruiting end of things. Um, you know, it, it is, it's a bidding war out there right now. And everybody is trying to be that, that company that stands out as uh, the one that gives the best uh, support or options to, to the applicant base out there. One example is tuition reimbursement is a really popular thing right now to offer for, uh, for applicants. And I was speaking to somebody the other day um, who really got, she thought she got her dream job. Um, and part of it was tuition reimbursement. She had not gone to college yet. Um, she had children very young. She's incredibly brilliant. Um, and was really excited to be working for uh, a company that really satisfied everything that she cares about. She was working with children um, and helping them find homes. These were children that had been abandoned by their families. Um, and one of the uh, one of the perks was tuition reimbursement. But the schedule that they asked her to work didn't allow her to take any classes. Um, so there was just it just it didn't make any sense. Um, and she wasn't able to take advantage of it. Yeah. yeah you talk about uh, the, the why and all that. And that's one of the things that I, that I firmly believe in is that, you know, it's great for the company to have the why, but each individual has to have their understanding and there doesn't have to be a, a perfect fit, but you, you know, you have to individually know what your values are and know what the company or the organization that you're working for values are. And, you know, you get three, three or four out of five, that's pretty, pretty good. It doesn't have to be five for five, but I think, and that's probably the case of most people who are not communicating well or who are become unmotivated or whatever it is, is because there's no longer an alignment or there never was, they've just been faking it. Now they can't fake it anymore. Would you agree sure. with that? Or, or what else? What's, what's, uh, we all have our own answer, I'm sure, but what's making uh, people unmotivated or, or what are you learning from as you're talking with people? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that people are not feeling, they're not feeling seen. And I think sometimes leaders, especially boots on the ground, first and second level leaders, just feel like it's this big project that they have to take on to make people feel seen. Um, and I don't think that it is, you know, in the restaurant industry, in the retail industry, there's, because there is this huge base of our rosters that is transitional, right? They're using this role as transitional. They can still be very motivated. For example, um, and it's an example outside of the restaurant industry, but I think it's a really good one. There is somebody that I was talking to, his name is Brian, and he is in the sales space, which is a really a hard job. I mean, it's a grind, right? There's a lot of rejection um, and you have to continuously just stay motivated and stay active. Um, and his boss, who is brilliant, um, recognize that, listen, he's not, he's, he's properly placed in role. He's not going anywhere. So that dangling of the carrot of promotion is not going to be that thing that motivates him. Right? right. But he's also really, really passionate about coffee, like really passionate about coffee. Um, so to 
add a little bit of positivity to his day and add a little additional purpose. It has nothing to do with the work that he's doing, but he gave them this assignment. He said, listen, our coffee machine is broken and frankly, it stinks, right? Our coffee's terrible in the office. Take this on, do some research. And I want you, here's your budget, make the best coffee station possible for everybody in the office. And he did so much research, it was unreal. <laughs> and he found, not only did he find this awesome coffee machine that also did espresso and all of this stuff, but he found a cold brew um, and he brought the cold brew into the office and he, everybody was talking about it. It was this huge uplifting thing um, for everybody who was also working this grind. And he came into the office early every day to clean the machine and, and make things all great for everybody who was working there. And it added an additional aspect to his day-to-day -day grind that gave him some happiness and fulfillment coming in. That's great. JC, let's talk a little bit about managers and their kind of point of view, uh, because I think sometimes it's very easy. We can all think of a lousy boss that we had and, and yeah. vent around how horrible they were and have a good time talking about it. Um, but a lot of times we forget kind of the, the pressures that they're under and so that they forget things or they neglect things and, and all that. And, and I don't necessarily want to get into a whole party about that they're underappreciated, because I think we also know that there's an awful lot out there that aren't very good at being managers, like they're in the, they're in the wrong role or they've never been taught. They've just kind of been mm -hmm. uh, promoted there because of whatever reason. How do you get uh, people who have, who are in a positional power, but have never really learned um, what people call the soft skills, but I call the essential leadership skills properly. Yeah, they, they, they just don't have the, the acumen, uh, the inner, yeah. interpersonal communications, some of the things that people need. So they don't think to say, Hey, thanks for uh, working overtime today, or you know, I appreciate what you did there, or gee, you, mm -hmm. you treated the customer well because you know you're supposed to. That's your job. So why would I, why would I tell you that? Yeah. What do, what do you share with people like that who have just who are who have the positional power and are maybe used to that positional power, but have never really been uh, taught or exposed to some of the nuance that it takes? Yeah. So I think some of it um, is just helping them have that moment of of recognizing the power of empathy, right? And I find the best way to do that is to talk to them um, about how they got into leadership and share a moment with me um, about how, uh, a, a moment when they really felt recognized and how it made them feel to be promoted into position, right? And if I get them to a place where they're able to surface and talk to me about how it made them feel to be recognized because essentially that's what a promotion is right. um then i can flip the script a little bit and talk to them about how their employees might feel right we're no longer in a place where you know their paycheck is their recognition the reality is the money that funds their paycheck from me is no different than the money that that funds a paycheck from someone else right, right. so there's nothing else keeping them here. Um, and I can drive down the road and see 25 signs of people not only hiring, but offering huge sign-on bonuses. So what is it that's different about working for me than about all than working for all of these other places? That's the only way I'm going to get them to stay. Yeah, you, you talk about empathy. I think those are two two key pieces is empathy and, and curiosity. 
I mean, if you're mm-hmm. asking, you know, asking the questions and showing some interest in, in people yeah. uh, or even process for that matter, Hey, why are we doing it that way? Or how can we make it better? Um, yes. it just kind of reminds me this, there's so often where, where a lot of managers may have the best intentions, but they're, they're scattered in a bunch of different directions. So in their mind, they're thinking, you know, Hey, what a great job uh, this person did. And I'm really grateful for them. And, and that's great. And the mind doesn't know that you actually didn't say it right. You, you didn't tell them. So you've just been thinking yeah. about it in the shower or something like that, or how great and how fortunate you are, but you never actually told uh, any of the, the, your coworkers, your, your teammates there. Yeah. So, um, so what is your take on the, uh, on the great resignation or the, or the great awakening, depending upon your point of view? <laughs> <laughs> well, in what way? Um, let me, let me approach it a completely different way. I might be getting rat- radicalized by the youths of TikTok. So let, let me, let me, <laughs> okay. let, let me go this way. Uh, there's a lot of dissatisfaction, right? And so the pandemic and all that uh, brought up options or brought up, hey, life's too short. I'm not not doing this. And, and certainly service injuries take a, a big hit of that, to your point, yeah. because they're transitory anyway, or, uh, or somewhat designed that way. And I, so let me, let me approach it this way. And so I get a, a, a sense, and I don't necessarily want to go generational with it, but I'll just be lazy and say that the younger generations, by and large, think that their managers who by and large are going to be an older generation, uh, don't care. Like they don't yeah. even think about it. They're not, they're not using that empathy. They're not doing that. They're either, you know, all big, bad capitalism or they're horrible people, or they just don't care. Um, right. so, so, so l- let's just solve world problems here. How do we, how do we solve that where we have a workforce, a young, intelligent, innovative workforce, uh, who's potent and has great leadership in and of itself and convince them that other people care or agree with them and make them leaders. <laughs> yeah. Instead of them just opting so, out. Yeah. Yeah. Here's an interesting that you asked this because that is specifically um, what the contents of my book will help people do better. Um, so the book will help you identify what motivates individuals um, and will help you connect that motivation to the team or to the work, right? Mm -hmm. The reason people are leaving um, is because they don't feel connected at all to the work, or at least they don't feel connected enough to not look for more pay somewhere else because money is really the only thing keeping them there. Um, So, and that's, you know, with a, we did a a very recent um, kind of survey of restaurant employees uh, with a project that I was working on recently. Um, And we talked to 500 uh, employees during COVID Mm -hmm. and we asked them, you know, why are people leaving? Have you thought of leaving and why? And their answer was really interesting. Um, The number one reason why people left was money. And the number one reason why people stayed was money. And it's not that money was incredibly you know, high, it was that there wasn't anything else keeping them there. So as soon as more money was available somewhere else, they were going to leave. So you have to create an experience for that person that makes them feel seen and valued. And the only way to do that is to identify what matters to them and connect work to them. So here's how I do it. To find the spark 
I've asked people to follow this spark structure, right? It's a mnemonic. So the first S is to just slow down, just slow down. And here's why this is so important, especially now. Managers wear many hats. They're keeping tons of plates spinning all at one time. And especially now in this pandemic, it's like we're asked to do twice the work with half the bodies, right? So they're spinning. And in order to see your employees, you first just have to slow down for a second. Before taking that curve, you got to just take your foot off of the gas. You don't have to stop, but just slow down. And then the P is for pay attention. And here are the things that you're paying attention to. What are your employees talking about? They talk about the things that matter to them. So what are those things? What do they surround themselves with? Do they come in wearing a sweatshirt with some sort of logo? Um, is it a band or is it a, a sports team? Those are the things that they like and they, that mean something to them. Do they on their keychain have a picture of their child? Maybe their child is, is a huge athlete and you know they have a football picture on their keychain. That's gonna be really important to them. Um, so what do they surround themselves with? And uh, what are they talking about? And how do they spend their time off? Okay, so on the weekends, what are they doing? Um, when they request time off, what are they doing? Just stay in tune to those things. And then A is ask calibrated questions. A calibrated question has a purpose, right? So that question is intended to identify, is that thing that you noticed something that's important to them? So ask about that thing just generally speaking, right? So if it's a if it's a keychain, hey, is that your son? It looks like he's a football player. I didn't know you had a child that played sports, right? Just something like that. Mm -hmm. And then the R is for recognize their response. So how are they responding? Something that when you've hit, hit that something that's important to them, one of two things is gonna happen. Either they're gonna have a really positive response, they sit up a little bit taller, they're making eye contact, they're smiling, you read that body language, right? and they can talk freely about it or there might also be times where responses are are emotional and negative right and maybe not in response to a calibrated question but just in general in everyday work recognize the response when a response is bigger than the moment there's a message behind the message and that's something that's really important to that person so Oftentimes, we look to just discipline the behavior, right? But that's just a symptom. I'm not saying don't discipline the behavior. If it's bad, you got to discipline it. But during that process, figure out what's causing that because that's a motivator too, right? Mm. And then the K is to know the driver. People are motivated to take action based off of one of three things, either the need to survive, the need to make connection either with coworkers or family or friends, or the need to fulfill something about a sense of self, self-esteem, self-worth, self-affirmation, growth, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the spark method. So that is going to help you just in everyday conversation organically to identify what's important to that person that you're employing. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, and it's a fantastic model. Um, Thank you. Just, e just even the, the first part there, because it's it's filling in what most people are looking for is to be appreciated, to be noticed, you know, to be seen, right. and that's that's the 
the big unknown or the big blank spot that people don't say that that is why they're leaving is because they just don't feel right. like they're, you know, being that they're important, really. Right. So, so even just by paying attention to the keychain or, you know, things like that, people are like, oh, oh they notice. That's great. So yeah. n- not to be the killjoy on this, because to me, I love that, that model. What happens when you come across uh, somebody or, or a group of people in the organization is like, oh, I don't, I don't have time for that. I can't slow down. If I, if yeah. I slow down, I get, I'm, I'm going to get slaughtered or I pay attention. Yeah. I can't notice anything. Oh, let's say I noticed that necklace. And now I say it. Now I got to go to the HR office because I noticed, you know, I made it inappropriate because they, because again, they don't have the nuance of how to talk right. to people perhaps, but, but how do you, how do you uh, work with those who are, who are a little bit more resistant or sort of or along the lines of like, Hey, I'm fine. It's them. Who's the problem. <laughs> right. Yeah. A great question. So first, I mean, there's a couple of different angles in which I can answer that question. Um, but the first, and I think the most important is going back to that piece of empathy, right? I always like to flip the script on when, when I have somebody who's resistant. Um, and if, if somebody is that resistant, then I'm probably going to ask them why they feel like they, they can't prioritize their people, right? Um, I'll probably also partner with their direct supervisor and talk to them a little bit about what it is that they're going through. If somebody is to the point where they don't feel like they can slow down and prioritizing their people isn't isn't the answer or isn't something that they they can prioritize or should prioritize, then they're in a position where they are bound to lose their entire staff or at least most of them, right? So what I have found uh, with leaders, uh, when you look at stats, it's very helpful, right? Um, they, they live and breathe their PL, they look at sales, they look at labor percentages, they look at food costs, they look at all of those things. When you start taking the percentage of turnover into consideration and you talk about the amount of money that they lose in turnover, that can also be very helpful to kind of put things into their frame of reference and use their vocabulary um, and the things that help help them the most um, prioritize what's important. So those are two things that I do. Fantastic. What about... Let's end with this this part here. What about reluctant leaders? Uh, by those who are uh, maybe their employees have been in the role, they're they're doing great things. They're not in a leadership role, but the, but they really are the leader of the team. They're who's everybody's looking to. They're the unofficial leader, right? Um, but they yeah. just uh, for whatever reason, just like some people with sales, right? Like, oh, I, I don't like salespeople because they have you know some stereotypical thought of what a salesperson yeah. is, so they don't want to be associated with that. There are a lot of people who feel that way about leaders or leadership, and yet they're exhibiting, wow, gee, I really wish they could step up. I'd love to replace this guy with them, <laughs> you know, or something like that. How, how do you uh, nurture them or encourage them or get them to, to think about stepping up into, I mean, they're already a, sort of an unofficial leader. How can you get them into taking themselves uh, yeah. more seriously? So I think the most important thing is to identify why in that person they're not comfortable with going into leadership right? What is it? Um, if it's, if it's something, uh, from a, uh, you know, a, a dedication to a schedule requirement, um, that might be holding them back. Is there something that you can do to kind of manipulate those requirements to put that person in role if they're really going to have the impact that you need them to have? Maybe there is, maybe there's not. Um, but it's worth exploring and having the conversation about, right? right. Maybe they don't believe in themselves. 
Um, if they don't believe in themselves, then you need to help feed that for them um, and help make them feel like they have the confidence to do that. And they should be defining for you what, what they need, right? It's never good to prescribe it to somebody. They have to be the one to tell you what they need. And then you can offer up the help. I think, I think in that approach, all too often leaders tend to take this position where they feel like they need to be the hero, right? They come in and they, they give this person all of these magical skills and then they succeed, but it's, it's not that. That person that you're developing needs to feel like the hero and you need to be the guide. You ask them what they need and you give them what they need to get to where they need to go. And I think also too, I mean, sometimes, sometimes somebody just doesn't want to go into leadership, but that doesn't mean that they can't be impactful. Give them little stretch assignments, right? That can, that can help leaders be successful, use them to, to solicit input from the team and give great ideas on things that they can do better. So if it's not motivating to them to be in that role and you can't help them overcome whatever it is that's holding them back, then it's not the right thing to put them into leadership. They're not gonna be happy doing it. So find other ways to help them contribute to the team and keep them on board, but don't force them into it. Fantastic. The book is called Spark to Fire. JC, can you tell people where to, where to uh, find it when it comes out or, or learn more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my website is jcbernstein.net um, and you can go there to pre-order the book. Um, I'm also available there for speaking gigs and consulting. So um, you can always reach me there and then all, all social media channels, JC Bernstein. Fantastic. Well, JC, thanks for uh, spending time with us today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You bet. As a manager or leader, do you sometimes feel overwhelmed and not know where to start? Whether you're new to the role or feel like you need a renewal, you'll want to check out Leadership Workbooks, a series of short yet profound workbooks I've put together for busy professionals who want to manage better and lead well. The Leadership Workbooks are a set of tools to help you gather your thoughts in one place and then take action at your own pace. Some topics are specific, like the Sales Management Monthly Briefing, and some are general, like how to manage change. They're affordable for your personal development or a great way to supplement any leadership development initiatives you have going on within your organization. Right now, there are five of them, each chock full with 30 to 50 pages of helpful guidance. If that interests you, check them out at leadershipworkbooks.com. Thank you for listening to the Reflections on Leadership podcast produced by Carl Bimshaw Consulting, the leadership development and accountability firm that helps busy professionals to challenge, disrupt and dramatically reduce the influence of lousy leadership in their business. Learn more at carlbimshawconsulting.com. Manage better, lead well.